Hey there, welcome to the When's My Time podcast. I'm Aussie Air, and I aim to be your boss's worst nightmare. I want to talk today about uh, an email I've just received from Sarah. I won't read Sarah's full name out, just in case her boss happens to be listening to the podcast too, and that would be embarrassing, wouldn't it? But uh, here's what she said. Hey, Aussie, love the show. Well, thanks, Sarah. Um, here's my question. How do I know when's the right time to quit and chase after my goals? Now, that is a great question, Sarah, and um, what I'd say is you're probably asking the wrong guy. Um, Now, let me explain that a little. Clearly, it's something I did, and I would not recommend doing it in the way that I did, because I I chucked everything in without knowing what I was going to do. But let me me take that question a, a little bit further back. How do I know when's the right time to quit? Now, I probably missed so many cues on that that uh, it's embarrassing, really, when I think back. There are so many times when, when I now look back and say, why didn't, why didn't I make that break earlier? Why, why didn't I see that this wasn't what I wanted to be doing and this wasn't, it's not serving my purpose? And clearly, if, if I'm not feeling at the top of my game, I'm, I'm not doing these people any favour either by, by working for them. I mean, I can t- take you right back more than 30 years when I've moved into retail. And within two weeks, literally within two weeks, I knew I hated that job. And I stayed there for 12 years in total. And never once did, did my opinion change. Now, what kept me there? Well, it was a combination, really. It was a, it was a combination of fear and ignorance. Fear because I uh, was now in a relationship with the lady who's uh, now my wife and has been for the last, um, what, 35 years. And um, we'd now made commitments to one another. And I had didn't have a mortgage to pay at that time, but we had rent to pay. And um, ignorance meant that I didn't realise that I could actually look around and see what it was that I wanted to do. In fact, thinking back, I was so tired at the end of the day that, um, you know, my energies for anything were, were, were minimal. So that should have been a warning bell. I mean, if two weeks into a new job, when you should be all excited about it still, shouldn't you? you shouldn't shouldn't have had the hard carapace of cynicism veneered <laughs> over you. But, uh, but no, I didn't. And then later, when working for that same company, we were now married and we'd had our first child. And we now did have a mortgage. We were living in the village we now live. Uh, we'd moved out of London. We'd, we, we'd been in London at, at the time um, when we got together. Probably at the time, and maybe still is, the most expensive city in the world to live. And when you first leave home, that comes as quite a shock. And that probably added to that fear, that fear factor, because we could barely meet the rent, never mind anything else. I mean, going out was out of the question. But we'd had our first child, and he was about two, maybe three years old. And for Christmas, his godmother bought him a VHS cassette, a, a Disney film. I can't remember which one it was. And we didn't have a VCR. Couldn't afford one. We had, believe it or not, a little black and white Nobody had black and white, but we had a little black and white TV, 12 or maybe 15-inch screen, that Carol had had when she was in college. That's what we had. Didn't have a colour TV. I think we'd had one, but it had broken, if I remember rightly. But anyway, I'm digressing, as I always do. We didn't have a VCR. And I always remember that our son was so excited to get this VHS cassette for Christmas. And he sat down on the sofa... And he laid one cushion flat on the sofa and propped one cushion upright behind it and slid the cassette underneath the lower cushion 
and pretended to watch it. I mean, that, that just made me sick to the stomach that here was this little boy who was so pleased with his gift that he played at watching it. And I couldn't afford to provide him the very basic equipment. This was not a luxury item by then. The very basic equipment that would allow him to, to watch it. Now, I actually caved in and um, we went to the local town and, and scoured all the, um, the stores and found a manager's, a beaten up manager's special, you know, an ex-display unit. I still had to take it out on credit, but I just couldn't bear the thought that this little boy didn't have uh, anything to watch this, this video on. It was the only video he had for quite a long time, I'll tell you, <laughs> watched it over and over again. But shouldn't that have been a wake-up call to say, hey, this isn't working out, you need to do something, you need to do something else? Or should the wake-up call have come just a couple of years later when Carol was expecting our second son? And I was now managing a, another local store. In fact, we just opened this store in the, I think it was the October of that year, maybe November of that year. And our second child was due on the 19th of December. But he decided to come early. Now, we knew that Carol was going to have to have a C-section. And he came on. He, things started happening on the 15th of December. It was a Saturday. And it happened to be my day off from the store. And the snow was lying thick on the ground. And I uh, remember I was driving Carol to the hospital. We offloaded our older son on a, a very kindly neighbour who'd offered to look after him. I was driving Carol to the hospital. And the route took me very near to the store that we'd just opened. And I said, well, Carol, I'll just pop in and grab a sandwich so that I don't have to leave you once we're there. So I parked up in the car park behind the store, went in. And bear in mind, there's snow on the ground. So I left Carol in the car. She's in labour. I went into the store, and as I walked in, uh, one of the supervisors grabbed me and said, this, this, this. Uh, and um, I said, yeah, well, could you do that, that, that? And then another one grabbed me and said, oh, right, I'm glad you're here. Um, I'm, I need to tell you. And as I walked through the store, this kept happening. People kept stopping me and, and sort of asking for various things. And eventually, one of them said, how's Carol? And I said, oh, I'm just off the hospital now. Oh, is she in the hospital? And uh, I said, no, 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 she's in the car. And as those words fell from my lips, she's in the car, I thought, hang on. I've left my wife, who's in labour, in the car, in the snow. And so I rushed out, saw her, and said, I'm so sorry. And you know what made this all the worse? I mean, it, it couldn't get much worse, could it? But what made it all the worse was that Carol knew and understood what had happened. She wasn't angry. It would have been far better for me if she had torn into me. Because that I could have accepted. But she knew that this, this company that I hated had its hooks in me. She knew what had happened. She, she absolutely was not surprised what had happened. So maybe that should have been a wake-up call. Or maybe, maybe just maybe, it should have been a few days later when um, we managed to get Carol and our new son home. Now, in, back in those days, when you were having a C-section, you had to stay in the hospital for 10 days. Now, even with my rudimentary maths, I can tell you that 10 on 15, remember it was the 15th of December, 10 on 15 makes 25, Christmas Day. We were then told that, well, she couldn't actually be discharged on Christmas Day because there'd been nobody around to sort out the official discharge. And in fact, there wouldn't be anybody around until after the holiday, which would take it to about, 
I think it was December the 28th, 29th, something of that sort. So I pleaded and pleaded and pleaded. And eventually they um, they relented and, and said, OK, we'll let her come out a day early. Because I was saying, look, you know, she, we've, we've got a five-year-old boy at home who is so desperate to have his mummy home for, for, for Christmas and even better, his new baby brother. And you can't deny him that. So we got home and, of course, Carol's pretty beaten up after the operation. That means Christmas is down to me. Anyway, Christmas Eve, the, the, you know, we get the house all ready, ready for Father Christmas's visit. And we go to bed. And it's probably just after midnight when I get to bed. And it's a very stormy night. High winds. Now, I'd mentioned that we just opened this new store. And with new builds, the alarm systems can quite often take some time to, to calm down, to, to bed in. No sooner had my head hit the pillow than the phone rang. And, hello, is that Mr. Eyre? Yeah. Uh, it's the police here. Uh, there's an alarm going off in the store. We'd like you to meet one of our officers outside. So I got out of bed and drove to the store and um, I you know, chatted with a, uh, the police officer that I met there and wished him a happy Christmas. And we both agreed that the most likely thing was the storm had set something off. So we let ourselves into the store. Tour of inspection agreed that that was what had happened. Uh, and after about probably about an hour, I drove home. So got back into bed around about half past two and the same thing happened again. And uh, I said to the operator that called me, I said, look, we, we, you and I know it's a storm. He said, yeah, but you need to go and switch the alarm off. We need to do this properly. So I drove to the store and um, it was the same police officer and we had a little chuckle and uh, let ourselves in again. It did the inspection and so on. Drove home. By this time, it was probably getting on 4, 4.30. I thought, there's no point in going to bed now. So I started preparations for that day's lunch. And uh, we had a lovely Christmas morning together. I, I mean, it was, it was lovely. All four of us uh, for the first time at Christmas. And uh, it was it was superb. Anyway, came to lunchtime. And uh, although I say it myself, I'm not much of a cook, but I do a pretty good roast. And I had gone really gone to town on this and uh, laid out the table. It looked magnificent in front of us. And we're just about to sit down to Christmas lunch. And guess what? The phone rang again. And it was the police. And it was the same all over again. Now, at that point, at that point, I did say, enough. That's it. No more. Now, I, didn't, I don't mean by that that I went in after Christmas and um, said to the boss, that's it, I'm off. But I did tell him that, that's it, I'm looking for something else. And uh, I did. I looked for something else. But the thing was, I didn't start at a position that said, right, what do I want to do? I started at a position saying, OK, um, I need to earn money. Where can I go that's going to train me? I'm now in my early 30s. It's going to train me and I can earn money when I'm doing it. So I, I didn't follow my passion. I probably didn't even know what my passion was. It was probably photography back then, as, it, as when I get the opportunity, it's, it is now. But I didn't follow that. I allowed fear to drive me again. Because after all, I, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about shirking responsibilities. I've got, I've got a, a wife and two children to support now, and a mortgage, <laughs> which was even more expensive. Um, but I didn't, I didn't investigate. I didn't, it didn't cross my mind for one minute to think, what do I want to do? It was what must I do? And so I, I went 
to something that was okay. I tolerated it, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. And I stayed there for another 20 years. Now, that's a rather long-winded answer to your question, Sarah, and I hope you'll forgive me. But I wanted to illustrate that because when it finally came to me quitting that first job, the, the one that I really hated and moved to the one that I really tolerated, it came out of a position where I said, right, no more, no more. But I didn't know what I wanted to do. So it's, it's fine to say no more. I mean, absolutely fine to say no more. But I was running away from something rather than running towards something. I hope that makes sense. And what I'd ask you, Sarah, and anyone else listening to this podcast, is take time to investigate what it is you run, want to run towards. You already know what it is you want to run away from, but, but make the draw of what it is you want to run towards stronger than the push. So that make the pull stronger than the push. Does that make sense? Make the pull of what it is that you want stronger than the push of what it is you don't want, the, the repulsion, the repelling from what you don't want. I really would do that. And what I also say is, while you're still in that job, try to shift your perspective of it. I'm assuming that you, you don't say in your email, but I'm assuming that uh, you don't like where you are at the moment. But shift the perspective and say, right, okay, what this is going to do is fund me in my research. It's going to pay my bills while I do the research and find out about what it is I want to do and maybe even learn new skills. One day in the very near future, you're going to be able to go to your boss and say, I'm sorry, boss, but um, I'm afraid this job's getting in the way of my plans. I'm, I'm going to have to let you go. My guess is you're not far from that, from your question. If you're saying, how, how do you know when's the right time? My guess is that is not far away, but you're going to have to make a leap at some stage. So don't wait for everything to be perfect because otherwise you'll still be there. You, you will be stuck. But try to learn from my mistake. And there's a lot more that I can tell you about that story. I've just realised that I've gone on for quite a long time here. What, about 15 minutes now? So there's an awful lot more that I can tell you about that story and an awful lot more instances where I should have said, hang on, what am I doing here? And uh, I should have moved. Because I would seriously go back more than 35 years to say, I should have said, no, within a couple of weeks of being in, in that job in retail, I should have had the courage then or the sense, I think the sense or knowledge to, to say, right, what, what, it, what is it that I want to do? I, I clearly know without any hesitation what it is I don't want to do. I don't want to be doing this job for any more than the next five minutes. And yet I did 12 years at it. I, I should have found out what it is I wanted to do and really gone out and investigated. Well, how can I make a living at that? Because, the, I mean, I said photography was what I wanted to do. Why? I mean, I could quite easily have gone around local photographers and say, hey, do you need an apprentice? How much will you pay while I learn? I'll carry your bags. <laughs> I'll, I'll do the setup. I'll be in early to do the studio setup. But teach me and pay me enough to pay the rent. That's maybe what I should have done. And knowing what I do now, maybe I would have done. But, as I say, I'm sorry, it's, it's a rather long-winded answer to your question, but Knowing when's the right time, nobody can actually tell you that. But what I would say is, it'll be a sort of sliding scale, this pull-push thing. And you will get to a point where it's a tipping point, when the pull of what it is that you want is greater than the push of what it is that you don't want. That, I would say, is the time to say, right, time to take a leap of faith. And when I say a leap of faith, it doesn't matter whether you're religious or not, it's faith in you. 
that's important. Faith in your own ability, faith in your own resilience, because you will need resilience. You will need resilience because things will go wrong. I'm not saying that <laughs> they'll go wrong terminally. Things, things go wrong, but it's when they go wrong that you take the opportunity to learn and bounce back stronger with that additional knowledge. So I know that didn't work, so let's try this. So always bounce back and you'll succeed. I hope that's been of help to you, Sarah. And indeed, if it's been of help to you and anybody else listening to this podcast, what I'd ask is you head over to iTunes, leave me a review and look and drop me an email as Sarah did to Aussie at whensmytime.com and tell me what you like best about this podcast. Leave me a review at iTunes. Leave me some stars as well. As always, five is a preferable number. It's a nice round number, five, isn't it? But leave me a review. Leave me some stars. And if you leave me a review, I shall read what you say out in a future podcast. I've been Ozzy Air, founder of whensmytime.com. And I'm here to tell you, your time is now.